It's Monday, February 24th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Fool.com, Taylor Muckerman, and from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser. Happy Monday, gents. Yes, sir. How beautiful of a weekend. Beautiful weekend just to melt all the snow in time for Wednesday. Make way for more. Nah, I don't believe that. It's going to be like 45 degrees. This stuff won't stick. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. We will wrap up the Olympics. We are less than a week away from the Academy Awards. And as I put out on Twitter, all week... On Market Foolery, we are going to be talking about our favorite movies about business, investing, and money. Drop us an email with your favorites, radio at fool.com, or just hit us up on Twitter at Market Foolery. We need to go retweet that right now. But let's start with the deal of the day, which is getting all the headlines, and that is for an undisclosed sum of money, Netflix is paying Comcast for faster internet connection. Based on the reports, Jason, Netflix at any given moment takes up about a third of America's bandwidth. Yeah. And I have to believe that when they're releasing something like House of Cards and people are binge watching over Valentine's Day weekend, because really, what's more romantic than that, (laughs) that it is possibly even higher than that. But help me out here, because I'm seeing all different narratives with this story. Everything from, well, congratulations, Comcast. You were successful in blackmailing Netflix <laughs> to people saying, you know what? Netflix is, if Netflix is using a third of America's bandwidth, they should be Pony paying. Up, yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm going to be very frank with you here. I fall on the latter side of that, that observation right there. I, I do believe, like, I mean, if Netflix is sucking up a third of the internet, I mean, you can't do that and not pay for it, right? I mean, that's just... There are a lot of different ways to look at this, though, and I think ultimately this is this is really probably a good thing, at least for consumers. And I think the real losers in this case are the peering uh, companies, the companies like Cogent that actually sort of serve as that backbone of the internet, because essentially what this does is is bypass them. And I, there was a really good uh, article on the Consumerist uh, after this this came out, and it did a good job of sort of differentiating between this sort of blanket sort of assumption that this is a net neutrality issue versus the actual reality of the situation, which is more of a peering issue. And and the the analogy that that was used was was exceptional, I thought, but. Basically, using a food service analogy, and imagine that a restaurant has you know a very popular dish that everyone wants to order. The kitchen has no problem meeting that demand, but orders aren't getting to dinners ta- uh, to diners' tables in time. If that slowdown is because the waiters just arbitrarily decide that customers shouldn't get that menu item, or that other menu items should be should be delivered in a more timely manner, that would be something like a net neutrality issue. You know, ISPs throttling back on you know choosing which traffic should go in. But if that if that food is slow to the table because there aren't enough waiters. And there are no off-duty waiters that want to come in and help out. That's a peering issue. And essentially, your cogents um, and, and other backbone providers, essentially, when that big bottleneck happens with those with those backbone providers, normally what would happen is your Comcasts and Verizons of the world would open up a few more, um, you know, a few more channels in there to let that data flow through and let the streaming uh, go through uh, unhindered. Uh, but they were never really seeing the the, the the benefit of sort of that agreement with with the uh, the backbone providers, and so ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, this shows the value um, of 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 the pipes there. And and I don't, I mean, I don't think it's it's not extortion, it's not blackmail. I mean, it's basic economics. Uh, 
you know, they didn't release the the terms of the deal. I'd love to see the terms of the deal. But I think that really, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, Netflix is a tremendous – it's one of the best values out there, I think. seven ninety nine for for what they provide. I mean, that's a tremendous value. And I think they've done such a good job of growing sort of that presence in their offering to this point. Uh, I, th- I think they actually could raise prices a couple of bucks and, and really get away with it. But But, you know, at the end of the day, Reed Hastings is focused on – the people that are signing up for Netflix, he wants to make his subscribers happy, and so I, you know, I didn't think he was going to go very long with with trying to sort of have this showdown with Comcast. I think they met, they came up with some some ideas, of, you know, an agreement was struck, and uh, you know, based on what I've read here, we're going to see agreements uh, forthcoming with Verizon and potentially others. And, and and you know, at the end of the day, that's that's probably a good thing. Uh, but you know, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of hyperbole about the, about extortion and stuff like that. I think it's just a little bit beyond really the scope of the situation. What did you think, Taylor, when you saw this news? Uh, is necessary? I mean, yeah, you look at billions of dollars being spent by Comcast and Time Warner and all their competitors to build out this infrastructure to offer high-speed internet uh, to more and more customers on a daily basis. And Netflix is just taking advantage of that. It's a nice little host-parasite relationship while it lasted, but uh, this is definitely just the first of, uh, of many deals to come through, I'm sure. Um, and unfortunately for Netflix, they've been on a great run right now, and cash flow is, is starting to really find a material uh, so, but if they have to start paying a lot of that out for these unforeseen deals that they probably didn't expect to come maybe this soon, um, that could pull back maybe on some of the expansion plans that they've had. Or maybe if they were looking to line up a new uh, a new solely owned show like House of Cards that they have or Orange is the New Black, maybe they have to pull back on a few ideas. Uh, because right now we don't know the financial implications of this. It can't be too big if they're keeping, yeah. it, under, if they're keeping it under wraps for this long. But um, yeah, it seems like a necessary evil. And uh, I think Netflix is just going to have to work through this. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I mean, I agree with Taylor. I don't think this is something where Netflix is forking over like billions and billions no, yeah, of dollars for this access. I think it's something that really is. You know, at the end of the day, the headline is probably bigger news than the actual real deal is. Uh, but I mean, Netflix is doing it. It's 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 just it's the evolution of this company, right? They're doing a great job of sort of making this leap from DVDs by mail to you know streaming, and now they're focused on the original content. I mean, one of the biggest. Uh, you know, problems that they face is when they release like this. This series, like uh, the House of Cards, has been very popular. You release everything at once, right? And so that does encourage sort of a lot of people to get online at once and watch everything. And so that's that's something that they'll have to probably look at um, as time goes on. And, and I think you know another way to look at that too is that it really shortens the life of those shows. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I've never seen House of Cards. I don't have Netflix. I mean, I understand it's a very popular show, but it also you know, the second season release now the, the 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 hubbub is over. I mean, you don't really see anything more about it on you know social media. It just seems like it's done. People have seen it, and and so I think that what HBO has done, you know, on, on the flip side there, over over time, they've done a great job of really stringing the lives of these series out. Whether it's Game of Thrones, uh, The Sopranos. I mean, you look at now this new show, True Detective, which is you know it's it's week after week after week. And so uh, what this does is it means that HBO has a bigger library at this point, and Netflix is going to have to focus on building that library out over time. And, you know, at the end of the day, what you see is with HBO bringing about $5 billion in uh, in revenue last year, $2 billion in operating profit. Netflix brought in about $4.5 billion, so pretty close uh, sales-wise to HBO, but but operating profit was only $225 million. And so you can see that HBO is far more profitable, but it's also an older, more mature company. And so you've got to give Netflix the time to sort of mature and figure this out. I do wonder about the fact that they release all shows at once because it kind of reduces the impact on people being able to talk to each other about it. Because some people have all the time in the world they can watch 
every episode yeah. that night. And then they're they're left, you know, holding the buck until their friends catch up to them. So I definitely wonder why, if there is a specific reason that they dump all 12, 13 episodes on you right at the same time. Last night I was looking online. There were some people writing that they thought shares of Netflix were going to take a hit this morning because mm-hmm. it's an so Shares are up this morning. Yeah. Shares of Comcast are up. Here's one question I have about Comcast, though, because if you're a Comcast shareholder, and I am not, you are probably happy about the fact that there's now this undisclosed sum of money. It's an additional revenue stream for a massive company. It's not going to meaningfully move move the needle. But at least we can agree that more money is better than less money or (laughs) the same amount of money. And yet I do wonder if this will in some way slow down or impede their ability to get the Time Warner deal locked up because some people are making the case, and I think it's there's some merit to it, that, look, if you think Comcast as the number one cable provider is a threat to consumer choice, and you also think that this is maybe not blackmail, maybe not extortion, but Comcast flexing its muscles mm-hmm. to get more money out of Netflix – then it stands to reason that it, if the merger with Time Warner goes through and it becomes an even bigger entity, then we're going to see even more of this. And then they're really going to flex their muscles. Do you think that there's merit to that? Or do you think that, no, look, this is going to take a long process and this doesn't change the fact that the approval process by the FCC is just going to take a while. Well, I guess you have to think who brought who to the table. If Netflix brought Comcast to the table, maybe they're looking to provide customers with a better experience, much more quicker experience. Uh, but if Comcast came to the table, you're right, the money probably doesn't mean much to them, but it exerts power, and maybe they're trying to get Netflix on their side um, for this deal to go through. I've read something along the lines of that, but you just have to wonder who brought who to the table, and then that's really where you'll see where this deal is headed. Let's move on to the Winter Olympics, which wrapped up last night. Great closing ceremony. I don't know if you guys got a chance to see not. it. Quite the not. spectacle. They're, they're, they're always pretty amazing. Although those gigantic stuffed animal things. They those, made a re-emer- like, yeah, they reemerged. The, that massive, like, <laughs> 70-foot bear that's just kind of creepy. And, yeah, his anyway, rolled back into his head. Exactly. But I'm curious if you have any thoughts about the business of the Olympics because I was looking at the reports. You see this reported figure of Russia spent about $50 billion on these Olympics. If that is true, that is 25% more than what had previously been the most expensive Olympics, which which was the 2008 Summer Games in Beijing yep. that came in around $40 billion. On the one hand, I think, well, the big question coming into the Olympics, Taylor, was security, mm-hmm. and is Russia going to be able to do a good job of that? And there were no incidents yeah, no on the security are, front. So from that standpoint, it was a win. But I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't see giving Russia a great grade mm-hmm. for their investment. I don't know if there's a massive return on their investment for this. What do you think? It doesn't seem like it. And in my mind, it seems like a Winter Olympics should cost significantly less because the mountains are where typically a lot of the action happens. And those are already there, supposedly. I'm sure Soki had to produce a ton of snow because if you looked around, it was dirt everywhere. Yeah, it was 55 uh, yeah. degrees <laughs> so every day. That was probably a big a big cost there. But um, $51 billion, I saw Bleacher Report broke it down to $1.55 billion per medal that Russia won. So <laughs> the return on investment there doesn't seem to be that high. Um, they did win the most medals. They did win the most medals, yep. So the host country did represent. But, you know, 
I read a lot that you know the roads were improved, the airport was dramatically improved. No longer writing down arrivals hand, by hand and yelling out departures over a megaphone. So wow. the infrastructure there is better. But you have to wonder, you know, is this just a case of now it's going to be a big ghost city where none of this is going to be utilized moving forward? And I saw that. $7.4 billion, which is a pretty decent percentage of the f- supposedly $51 billion that were spent, went to Putin's old judo partner. So it's a little bit of controversy there. And t- <laughs> 2,000 families were displaced with uh, very little compensation due to construction and waste waste disposal. So uh, lot, not the people of Soki probably aren't in, in the same boat as the people that were there you know, undergoing the construction. Yeah. And Jason, one of the things that showed up on Facebook over the last couple of weeks was someone had done a photo essay of the Winter Olympics of 20 years ago in Lillehammer and what that site looks like today. And it, to Taylor's point, it is kind of a ghost city. So, Yeah. Well, I mean, if you I, – I, I thought you were actually going to go a little bit further back. I was looking at one of those that was uh, looking at Sarajevo and former Yugoslavia back from 1984. And, man, I mean, what a mess because that that is just – you know, where, where the Olympic Games were held there in 84, that is now literally not only a ghost town, but all that stuff is just there rotting yeah. uh, right right before everybody's you know eyes. Uh, I mean, yeah, $50 billion. Obviously, there was a tremendous amount of that uh, just devoted to waste and bribery, of course. And so, you know, th- there's there's a lot of money that's just Are you suggesting right there. that there's waste and bribery with uh, just, involving the International I'm Olympic just, Committee? I'm lobbying has it that, out there. Has that ever happened before? <laughs> I'm going to lob it out there and the listeners can Could make be their Olympic own sport. decisions, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that you have to ask yourself the question, what was going on in Sochi before the Olympics? Not a whole heck of a lot. Uh, sure, they really built this place up and, uh, you know, improved the infrastructure that's all great, but you know, let's let's not forget that needs to be maintained. Yeah, the legacy and, cost. Uh, there's probably not going to be the the funds um, or or the people really to maintain that. I mean, it kind of makes me think of um, what was it the, the Pontiac Silverdome in Detroit? You remember that back yeah. in the day? Like that thing's <laughs> like they ended up selling that thing for like a million dollars, maybe a couple yeah. of years back, because like you you couldn't give it away. I mean, the maintenance costs alone. I don't even think it was a million dollars. I think it actually cost a million dollars a year just just for the upkeep. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, it was great to put that to put that uh, area there in a on a global spotlight. But but what's done is done. I mean, I think that uh, for everything that went well, there was certainly uh, a lot of fun. Had on social media uh, regarding you know everything that went on there, so I just I, you know it's, it's okay I guess the Olympics I'm not all that big of a fan of blowing all that kind of money on something like because I don't think you really do see any real return on that. Let's wrap up with the Academy Awards. Our man behind the glass today is Dan Boyd, who said that his choice for uh, a, a favorite, maybe not the favorite, but a favorite movie about business, money, investing. The Wolf of Wall Street, which is up for Best Picture, Leo DiCaprio. A lot of people thinking he could finally win his first Academy Award. Taylor, what do you got? So, uh, Trading Places was uh, one of my top business movies. The comedic aspect of uh, Eddie Murphy in his prime, or in my mind, pretty close to it. I wasn't old enough to watch it when it first came out, but I have seen it several times since. And uh, it's a comedic classic that you can turn to and kind of highlights the the fact that business is a zero-sum game. Somebody wins, but somebody inevitably loses. And while there was some corruption in this one, uh, it, it is the fact of the business. Pork bellies. Yeah, something exciting. Commodities business, right something there. Something exciting is going to happen in the pork belly. I usually today. try to eat pork belly rather than <laughs> trade it, but 
Jason, what do you got? Oh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll echo the trading place is a good call. I think we all know and love that one. Um, probably some other low-hanging fruit I'll leave out there for others, but one that always comes back to me and probably flies under the radar of a lot is uh, other other people's money. Danny DeVito, I think it was 91, uh, the movie came out, and it's just, you know, he's like this corporate raider that goes in there and does kind of what we see a lot of these guys doing today, breaking up companies and selling off the pieces and you know, there's a little romance involved I, there. I forget his last name in the movie. His first name is Larry, and his nickname in the movie is Larry the Liquidator. Yeah, I can't recall. I just remember the Liquidator. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good one. There's a great free website called AmericanRhetoric.com, and it features great speeches from American history. And there's a section that has speeches from movies and Danny DeVito's character <laughs> gives a speech at an annual meeting – and that speech is on AmericanRhetoric.com. I'll send it to you, Taylor, because yeah, I know you haven't seen out. this before. But it is just great because he's basically making the case in front of a hostile crowd <laughs> that does not want him there. And, he's make, he, and, he's, and for investors, he's laying out a very sort of clinical, unemotional case for why they should support his position. And it's funny, but it also makes great investing sense so we will be doing this all week taylor muckerman jason moser guys thanks for being here thank you as always people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about and the motley fool may have formal recommendations for or against don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear that's it for this edition of market foolery the show is mixed by dan boyd i'm chris hill thanks for listening we'll see you tomorrow 